Good morning, my name is Helen and I'm going to do our first Bible reading today. So the first Bible reading comes from Job chapter 11. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can scan the QR code on the back of the seat in front of you and it will come up there um, or it will be on the screen as well. Okay, Job chapter 11. Then Zophar the Namathite replied, should this abundance of words go unanswered and such a talker be acquitted? Should your babbling put others to silence so that you can keep on ridiculing with no one to humiliate you? You have said, my teaching is sound and I am pure in your sight. But if only God would speak against you, it would speak and open his lips against you, he would show you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know then that God has chosen to overlook some of your iniquity. Can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he passes by and throws someone in prison or convenes a court, who can stop him? Surely he knows which people are worthless. If he sees iniquity, will he not take note of it? But a stupid person will gain understanding as soon as a wild donkey is born a human. As for you, if you redirect your heart and spread out your hands to him in prayer, if there is iniquity in your hand, remove it and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. Then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid. For you will forget your suffering, recalling it only as water that has flowed by. Your life will be brighter than noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. You will be confident because there is hope. You will look carefully about and lie down in safety. You will lie down with no one to frighten you and many will seek your favour. But the sight of the wicked will fail. Their way of escape will be cut off and their only hope is their last breath. We're going to continue reading now uh, in chapter 12. So why don't you continue uh, reading along with me? Then Job answered, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I also have a mind like you. I'm not inferior to you. Who doesn't know the things you're talking about? I am a laughingstock to my friends by calling on God who answers me. The righteous and blameless man is a laughingstock. The one who is at ease holds calamity in contempt and thinks it is prepared for those whose feet are slipping. The tents of robbers are safe and those who trouble God are secure. God holds them in his hands. But ask the animals and they will instruct you. Ask the birds of the sky and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will instruct you. Let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? The life of every living thing is in his hand, as well as the breath of all humanity. Doesn't the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is found with the elderly and understanding comes with long life. Wisdom and strength belong to the Lord, to God. Counsel and understanding are his. We're going to continue reading on from chapter 16. So if you've got your own Bible there, you can flip forward to chapter 16 and reading from 1 
verses 1 to 8. Chapter 16, then Job answered yet again. I have heard many things like these. You are all miserable comforters. Is there no end to your empty words? What provokes you that you continue testifying? If you were in my place, I could also talk like you. I could string words together against you and shake my head at you. Instead, I would encourage you with my mouth, and the consolation from my lips would bring relief. If I speak, my suffering is not relieved. And if I hold back, does any of it leave me? Surely he has now exhausted me. You have devastated my entire family. You have shriveled me up. It has become a witness. My frailty rises up against me and testifies to my face. Well, welcome. We've got a, had a nice light reading this morning. Um, Welcome to you. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm part of the ministry staff team here, and I'm going to be opening up God's Word um, for us today. Um, but we always need His help, so I'm going to be praying uh, for that, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that you are the God that speaks. You are not silent. And so, Father, I, I'm not sure where different people are at as they come in this morning. But, Father, I pray that we would see where real and true com comfort lies. Show us more of yourself. And I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you to imagine uh, for a moment um, that you're not living in 2023 Pitt Town, um, but you actually lived in Edom and you're walking along the, the road and out of the corner of your eye you see this man surrounded by some friends and you find out that this man's name is Job. What do you see as you see Job? You see that he's sitting in the dirt so he's probably not like having the best day you, you gauge. But you look a little bit closer, and as you look a little bit closer, there's like blood and pus. And this guy called Job, he's got some like broken pottery, and he's like trying to scrape some of the boils that are from like the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And you're just thinking, man, this, this guy, like he's a sorry sight. You, you'd think that if you saw him for, for the first time, but... But we know, like we've been tracking with Job for a little bit, we know like there's, there's more to the story, right? There's more than just like the boils and the physical ailments. Job actually had lost everything. There was a boxer by the name of Mike Tyson who famously said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And I think it's safe to say that Job, he, he copped some hits, didn't he? Like he was this wealthy guy, he feared the Lord. And then it was just like jab, jab, uppercut. You just lose your livestock, you lose pretty much everything. You lose your kids. Your wife's saying probably not the most helpful things, but she's grieving too. There's lots going on. But also as we've been going through Job, we know that there's 
another layer, like there's more going on to the story than just this man in the dirt, right? Like in chapter one, we got this like really unique glimpse into the courtroom of heaven. Like we saw some of the inner workings behind what's going on here that we don't normally see, right? Like Satan actually came into the courtroom of heaven and he said, well, God, I've got like a bone to pick with you. This guy called Job, like he, he fears you, he loves you, but that's because you've hedged him in. Like he's, got, he's on the gravy train. Just take away some of that cotton wool and he will curse you to your face. Now, God, he, he knows all this. He knows that Job is not sinless, but he knows that Job is a man of integrity. And God, he, he knows that Job isn't going to curse him the way that Satan said. So God, in, in that courtroom of heaven, he, he lets Satan go on a leash and he lets him go. That's all swirling around. There's different layers than just the man in the dirt, right? That's true for Job and that's true for any single person and all the people here. There's, there's always more going on, isn't there? But that's where we find Job. And that's where we found him last week. After he copped those hits, we saw that he had some of his friends or friends in inverted commas, as we come to see. We had some of his friends. They, they came around and they kind of just like sp spent time with him. They just kind of like sat with him and were quiet for about a week. But then last week we saw that Job, he, after a week, he spoke, didn't he? It was Job 3, John, John preached. He, he spoke. And as Job spoke, he didn't curse God, as Satan said. He wasn't particularly feeling all the warm and fuzzies. Like Job was saying, I wish I was like uncreated. That's what he was saying. But that was, that's all Job's friends needed. That was the trigger. And that was the trigger for the next 23 chapters. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. That was the trigger for his friends to start talking for like a long time. And that's where we're going to be like landing today. Like his friends, they don't just kind of like say a few little words and leave it. There's, there are lots of words. There are lots of words. And there's like... It's interesting. There's kind of like three cycles. It starts with Eliphaz, then Job replies, and then there's Bildad, and then Job replies, and then there's Zophar. What names are these? They're pretty cool. Anyway, then Job replies, and then they, they don't like stop there. They come for a second innings. They're like, all right, let's go again, but that's not enough. Like they, they come out for a third innings. Like who's allowed to do that? And Eliphaz comes and he starts. Bildad, he's kind of like running out of steam and his like third speech is pretty short. And then Zophar, he just stops at that point. But I don't know about you, if you've had a chance to at least glance over those chapters, they're hard to read. I found them hard to read. Um, there's lots of noise. There's lots of things that are said. Um, but I think, I think we're meant to feel that. I think we're meant to feel that it's, it's long and it's hard and a, a lot of the, 
things that are said are long and hard. And I think Job like helpfully kind of sums up how he's feeling about the situation in that last reading that Trav read for us in Job chapter 16, when he, he really tells us how he's feeling. Job 16 verse 2, he says, I've heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. And so what I want to think about today for the moments that we have together is I want to think about why, why is that? Why were they miserable comforters? And so just to like get our bearings, because we're going to be like covering a bit of territory here. We're going to kind of be like, you know, gliding over the surface of a lot of different chapters and poking our heads down at different points. So like stay with me. But just so you get our bearings, we're going to firstly be thinking about like what some of those three friends say and why they are miserable comforters. And then we're going to kind of be thinking about Job and what he has to say about it all. And then right at the end, we're going to be thinking about, well, what does this mean for me? So let's start with the friends. And we start with friend one, Eliphaz, who he's probably like the senior friend and he starts first. And as he starts in chapter four, it seems like he's pretty sensitive, at least on the surface. If you've got your Bibles, you can flick with me. You, you might be doing lots of flicking though, so see if you can keep up. But anyway, Job 4, uh, verse 2, and Eliphaz says this, Should anyone try to speak with you when you're exhausted? Oh, it's a bit nice. Anyway, yet who can keep from speaking? Indeed, you have instructed many and have strengthened weak hands. Your words have steadied the one who was stumbling and braced the knees that were buckling. He's saying, Job, like you were, you were the comforter, like you were the one who would go and comfort others, like you were, you know, you would help those knees that were buckling. But then he continues and he says, Job 4, uh, verse 5, but now this has happened to you and, and you have become exhausted. It strikes you and you're dismayed. Isn't your piety your confidence? In the integrity of your life, your hope. He starts to say some interesting things here, but really like uh, the, the crux of what he's saying and I think of what a lot of the friends are saying comes through in verse 7. He says this, Consider who has perished when he was innocent. Where have the honest been destroyed? And then in verse 8, Love this. He says, in my experience, it's a very telling statement. In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. All right, let's pause there and let's think about what he's saying. Like he, he comes in and he's seemingly being thoughtful. But what he's saying to, to Job as he's in the dirt is he's saying, I'm not convinced that you're totally blameless. I'm not convinced about that. See, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophor, Zophor they, they've got nuance in what they say. So we're not going to be able to like dig deep into all that different nuance. But all three of them, they do have this tight theology that runs across all 20, 
plus chapters, right? And their, te- their tight theology, it pokes its head up here. And what is it? Well, it's this. is that they see God, in some sense, as this cold ATM. We know ATMs, right? We don't use them much anymore because everything's cardless. But, you know, back in the day, you'd go to an ATM, you'd put your card in and you'd get out some cash. And essentially what Eliphaz is saying here is like if you sow something that is good, if you put your credit card in and you seek God, you trust him, out is going to come good things. Make sense? But, But if you sow iniquity, if you do some specific sin, then out is going to come disaster. Out is going to come suffering. That's kind of their theology. God is like this. He's this like cold, instant ATM. But the hard thing with the friends is, as we will read and as we'll discover, is it's hard to read because at times they're kind of right and what they say is kind of true, which makes us stop and pause and kind of think what's going on here. Because what he's saying here is still kind of true. Because the Bible says that you know, all people have sinned, excluding Jesus. And so that means we will all reap death. We, we sow what we reap. That's true. It's kind of true, but not in the way Eliphaz is meaning it. You know, the Bible never says that specific sin that we do will inevitably lead to, you know, instant disaster or prosperity like this ATM sort of setup. It's kind of true, but it's wrong. And some of us might think, what? It doesn't matter if they're like kind of wrong. Like in uni, you kind of got like, you passed if it's 50%, surely that's okay. But just imagine like you're on a big cruiser, you're on a ship and you're setting out to sea and you're setting out to a certain country. And imagine the navigator of the ship, they've got to go true north. But it's kind of a little bit off. You think, ah, that's all right, surely. If they're a little bit off, you're going to end up in a different country. A little bit off is wrong. And the friends being a little bit off actually leads to disastrous comfort. In fact, miserable comfort. But we see this type theology in our world today, in our Australian culture. Like some people might call it karma. You know, some people just sort of say, oh, you know, he was a good bloke, so he deserved that. You know, he had that coming for him. We, We kind of talk a little bit like that. And we see this with the friends. We see it with Eliphaz. But I want to look, you know, briefly at some of the other two, so we see it there as well. Let's come to friend two. We come to Bildad. He comes into the picture, and he doesn't come in treading as lightly as Eliphaz. He says this in Job 8 verse 2. He says, how long will you go on saying these things? Your words are a blast of wind. Now, remember, he's saying these things to Job, who's just undergone some of the most intense suffering that you could think of. Just have that in the back of your mind as the friends are talking to. He says, how long will you go on saying these things? Your word or a blast of wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? He's bringing God's justice into question. But then he says this, 
verse 5. But if you earnestly seek God and ask the Almighty for mercy, and if you are pure and upright, then he says, then he, then he, God, will move even now. Or the ESV says he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. Did you see it? Did you, did you pick it up there in that little reading? Like we, we see like he, he's bringing his, God's justice into the question, but essentially he's saying to Job, like if you're pure and upright, remember he said that, you put that in the ATM, out's going to come your restored house. It pokes its head up there. Let's come to Zophar in the reading that we had today. In Zophar chapter 11, skip ahead a little bit, verses 1 to 2, um, Zophar says this, Should this abundance of words go unanswered, and such a talker be acquitted, you know, should you be let off the hook for all the things you're saying and all the things you're saying about God? And then he says some really interesting things that we'll come back to. Verse 5, he says, But if only God would speak and open his lips against you. Seems like a really good thing. I wonder if he thought that would actually happen. Mm-hmm. Verse 7, Can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? Like he's saying, you know, right things. You know, if only God would show up, if only God would speak. But then, verse 14, we see this, you know, instant cold ATM kind of theology popping up again. Job 11, verse 14. If there is iniquity in your hand, remove it and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. Verses 16 to 18. For you will forget your suffering. Recalling it only as water that has flowed by, your life will be brighter than noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. And you'll be confident because there is hope and you will look carefully about and lie down in safety. Oh, it just sounds good. And there's part of it that you just think as we look you know, further in Scripture, we can kind of see, you know, new creation. We see that. But right here, you know, he's, it's wrong. You know, he's talking about hope and rest and security. But he's saying, stop saying you're blameless. Do good and you will prosper. Prosper. You know, he says your life will be bright. It will be brighter than noonday. Surely there is some specific sin that has caused this suffering for you, Job. And the friends laid on thick. That's round one, but then they come for round two, as I said. And then in round three, Eliphaz, he speaks again, and he kind of like, he brings some of these thoughts together, and he, he says in Job chapter 22, verse 5, he says, Isn't your wickedness abundant? And aren't your iniquities, aren't your sins endless? keep on bringing this up and this is the question they're saying Job hasn't like a specific sin brought about this calamity but we know like we got that you know big picture view we, we've we've read Job 1 and 2 we've seen the inner workings of the you know the heavenly courtroom but this is the question this is the thing they keep bringing up 
And the bigger question here is, Job, surely you've cursed God. And will he? Let's see. That's the friends. Very briefly. But secondly, let's have a look at Job in in a few different moments. And let's see how Job actually kind of reacted to all of this and what he's saying and how he's feeling. Job says something really interesting. Um, In Job chapter 9, verse 11, he says, If he, God, passed by me, I wouldn't see him. If he went by, I wouldn't recognize him. You know, he's, Job is saying at this point, I, I don't feel like I understand you, God. Job's vision of God isn't quite right. But has he cursed him? No. His vision of him isn't quite right. But I think the closest Job comes to cursing God is in Job 9, verse 23. And he says this verse. He says, When catastrophe brings sudden death, he, God, mocks or laughs the despair of the innocent. And that's wrong. God doesn't mock or laugh at the despair of the innocent. Job's vision of God is, is blurry. But has he, has he cursed God? Seems like he's close, but he hasn't. God says that he hasn't. And he also says things like this in Job 12, and this was in our reading earlier. Job 12, verse 13, he says, Wisdom and strength belong to God. Counsel and understanding are his. He's saying some good things, but still kind of foggy because he says this straight after that. He says, what he tears down cannot be rebuilt. Those he imprisons cannot be released. Some clarity, but haziness. And so in these 23 chapters, what we see is that they're, they're long. There is mm, so much speech that is poured forth. You get Job and he's pretty unfiltered. You hear these miserable comforters. But right near the end of the book, we see something really interesting. We see that God shows up. I wonder if Zophor was surprised. It's what he asked for. It's what Job asked for a couple of times. God shows up. And Craig's going to be speaking about that a little bit later in this series, but I think it'd be helpful for us to see what God says about these comforters, so to speak, in inverted commas. He says in Job 42, verse 7, he says, After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm very angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Very interesting. A couple of weeks ago, as we started this series, um, Craig, as he preached, he showed us a bit of a graph. I don't know if you remember the graph. 
And on one side of the graph, one of the axes was, you know, how much we know about something. And on the vertical axis was, you know, how confident we are to speak about the thing. And on like, there was this spike, you know, right on the, the side, there was this spike, this little mountain that he called Stupid Mountain. You know, it's the, the person that's read the, the one book or the one chapter or the one article, but speaks really confidently about the topic, you know, Stupid Mountain. Um, that's where we've been over these 23 chapters. There's been so many people speaking pretty confidently about things, which what we'll see next week is things we still need to know and understand, things that are far deeper than we could ever possibly imagine. And the thing is, is that people speaking confidently with limited understanding, what has it led to? It has led to miserable comfort. And so to bring all this together, what I want to do for us is I want to think now, how is it that we today here in Pittown, how is it that we cannot actually not follow suit? You know, how, how can we not be miserable comforters ourselves? And where is real comfort found? I'm going to give us two thoughts as we finish. First thought is we see that there is wisdom in silence. Would we be slow to speak? Job 13 says it. He says to his, he says to his friends, if, if only you would be silent and let that be your wisdom. He says it a little bit more brashly than that. A lot of people have said this, and I think it's true that the friends were at their best in that first week when they, when they didn't say anything. Um, and as people are hurting and as wounds are raw, and maybe that's you, maybe you're here this morning and you're just feeling like, I just feel like I'm in a bit of a fog. Things feel uncertain. There's all this stuff going on in your mind and your heart that no one else knows about or maybe one or two other people, but you're just feeling like you're hurting and you're, it's really, really hard. There is wisdom in silence, in just being with someone, just crying with someone, offering a hug. Nancy Guthrie, a famous Christian author, sort of tapped into this a little bit more and she was particularly talking about people that are going through grief. And she said, for someone who's going through grief and pain, she was you know, talking about you know, this wisdom in silence thing, that we wouldn't assume someone else's pain. Because as we, what we've seen from Job, there's more going on. <laughs> there's more that we don't understand. She also says that, we wouldn't compare our pain with someone else's going, oh, mine's not, well, mine's less than Job or mine's more than Job or pain's pain and it hurts. Um, she said, oh, so often we try to fix it and often it doesn't fix it. So don't try to fix stuff. Try not to be in a hurry. Try to not make it about ourselves, but try to be there and listen and understand 
what we've seen here is that there is wisdom in silence and kind of staying in that place for a while, that we wouldn't rush past that place. First thought. Second thought is that after a while and after sitting and after being there, there comes a time to talk. And so when that time comes, like what, what happens? Like what do you, what do, you do? What, what's the comfort? How do we not be like the miserable comforters? Um, that's next week. So come next week and Nathan will have all the answers to all of your questions. Um, Job chapter 28. And let me just say, Job chapter 28, it is like a breath of fresh air in the book of Job. You just come to it and you're like, oh, okay. So stay tuned. That's coming. Um, but I want to give us like a little taster. Give us a little thought and then Nathan will have all the answers next week. Um, near the end of the book, we see that Job, he's still in dust and ashes, but he, Job himself is comforted. You know, Craig showed us this. You know, he, he says, I repent in dust and ashes. And that word repent, it's got like a double meaning. It can mean repent, but also comfort. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm comforted in dust and ashes. And, and the question is, well, why? Like what? What's changed? What's happened? You're, you're, you're in the dirt, Job. Well, God showed up. He got a bigger vision of God, a truer vision of God. And I, I pray that for us, that we would actually come to have a, over this series and over your life, you would actually come to have a bigger vision of God because you know what? As we come close and as we come to know him more, what we see, get this, we don't see a cold ATM, we see a cross. We see God who in Jesus suffered for you to give you life. We see Jesus who understands more than those friends ever did. We see the true friend, the one who really understands. And so today, I, I pray and I hope that we wouldn't be miserable comforters, that we would see the wisdom in silence and we would patiently sit with those in their pain. And secondly, in this series and in our lives, that we would come off stupid mountain and we would come to see and get a bigger, better vision of God. And maybe you've never had that. Maybe you're new here and you want to find out more. Stick around. Keep, keep coming. But as we get that bigger and better vision of God, that as we walk with people in their grief and in their pain and in, in their suffering, we might actually be able to speak of the cross and say, come and see the living Redeemer, the Saviour. Because, you know, the book of Job, it... It is about suffering, right? It is, but it's not primarily about suffering. The book of Job is, it's about God. It's about hope. Would we come to see him more and more 
in this series. I'm going to pray for us as we're maybe, yeah, so much there to sort of chew on perhaps. Um, but I'm going to pray and then I believe the band's going to come up and we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for you. Help us see you better and help us see where real comfort comes from. Do this by your spirit. Show us your grace. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.